Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. This morning, I want to talk about the issue that has exploded in our culture over the last couple of weeks, and that is the issue of racism. I'm sure all of you are aware of the tragic and horrific and senseless murder of George Floyd at the hands of police officers in Minneapolis, Minnesota a few weeks ago. And as an American, I am appalled. I am embarrassed. I'm horrified. I am shocked that these kinds of incidents continue to occur. But as we've seen in recent weeks, it's not just happening in America. Racism isn't confined to American shores. As we've seen, it's, it's happening here in the UK. And over the past week, I've been having conversations with members of this church of different ethnicities and hearing some appalling stories of racism happening here in Britain. Racism isn't just an American problem. It's not just a British problem. It's a human problem. And it breaks God's heart. And it should break our hearts as well. But I think this global outcry that we're experiencing right now is an opportunity. It is a chance. It is a, a moment in time where we can actually make some changes from the status quo, the, thing, the way things have been, and we can uh, change things for the better so that people of different ethnicities can experience a better future in this country and around the world. And I know, I know our news feeds have been filled with this subject, and our social media feeds have been filled with this subject, and, and, and we're feeling all kinds of different emotions this morning, but what I want to reassure you that my purpose today is not to heap guilt on you or to make you feel ashamed because those are the tools of the enemy, and they're not going to ultimately help us solve the issue of racial injustice in our culture What I want to do today is I want to take a look at what the Bible has to say about race and then provide some practical steps that we can all take to address racial injustice in our society. I want to start this morning with a statement that I hope is an obvious and self-evident statement, and it's this. Racism is not compatible with Christianity. That should be obvious. (laughs) However, I'm aware that Throughout history, Christians, or at least people who claim to be Christians, have twisted and manipulated the Bible to justify racist beliefs. They've misused and mishandled the Bible to somehow uh, 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 justify their racist ideologies. They've used it for their own ends. But I want to be very clear this morning that the Bible never justifies racism. In fact, it teaches the exact opposite. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to just look at, at, at three points that the Bible makes about race. And this isn't, you know, a comprehensive thing. We could say much more. But I, but I just want to look at three points this morning that the Bible makes about race. First of all, we are all made in God's image. We're all made in God's image. In Genesis chapter 1, as we get the account of God creating the heavens and the earth and creating people, we we get this little, little glimpse of this conversation that's happening among the Trinity. And it says this, it says, 
God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This whole, the the truth of God's word is that we are all created in God's image. The theological term for this is imago Dei. It's the Latin term for, for God's image. And all of us, regardless of our race, regardless of our gender, regardless of our age, regardless of any disabilities we might have, every human being is an image bearer of the living God. And therefore, we have infinite worth, infinite value, and infinite dignity. And maybe this morning you need to hear that. Maybe if you have suffered racism, from racism, then, then you have bought that lie that somehow you're worth less, that somehow your race is, is, is a flaw, but nothing could be further from the truth. You are, as C.S. Lewis said, a son of Adam and a daughter of Eve, and, and, and your ethnicity is, not, is a part of that. Your ethnicity is part of how you bear the image of God. It should be something that's celebrated and not denigrated. We are all image bearers. People of every ethnicity bear the image of God, and therefore we all have equal value and equal worth and equal dignity. We all have the same creator who loves us all. That brings me to my second point. God loves all ethnicities and wants them to know him. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is in Revelation when John, he's getting a glimpse of heaven. I mean, wouldn't you love to see what's happening in heaven? And what he describes in Revelation 7 verse 9 is fascinating. He says this, after, I, after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. That's God's desire. That's the reality of heaven, is that people from every ethnicity are gathered around Jesus, worshiping him together. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. And you know, when I read this passage, it reminds me of the opening ceremonies in the Olympics. I mean, that's probably one of my favorite parts of every Olympics is the opening ceremonies, in particular, the parade of nations. I can't watch it without getting emotional. And part of it is, I I think, you know, I just think about these athletes and how hard they've worked to get there, and this is the culmination of their dreams. But it's also, I think, pointing to something deeper. I think that parade of nations is giving us a glimpse of heaven. When all nations gather together in all of their glory and, and, and all of their ethnic distinctiveness is, is there on full display and it's celebrated and it's rejoiced over and we're all there as one, that, that's just a small glimpse of what it's going to be like. God wants all nations to, to, or all ethnicities to know him. He loves them and he wants to, to create Uh, He wants to bring us together as one. And isn't that what we're longing for in this day? We're so divided politically. We're so divided economically. We're so divided racially. And God wants to eliminate those divides. 
God wants to, uh, to, to bring us together. I love how Paul puts this in Galatians chapter 3. He says it this way. He says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. God wants unity among the different ethnicities. But don't misunderstand me. God isn't talking about this sort of homogenous unity that erases all the distinctions. When it says there, no longer Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female, he's not, he's not erasing the distinctiveness that we have. No, God is a creative artist, and he likes to use lots of color to create, his, his, to, to create beauty and to create um, uh, uh, this. <laughs> there is beauty in diversity. And so God doesn't eradicate our distinctiveness, the distinctiveness of our ethnicity or our gender or our, our, our role in society. God doesn't eliminate that stuff. That is how he is glorified and exalted. That's how he, he creates something beautiful is through our diversity. But as he says there, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. What, what's that about? Well, that brings me to my third point, and it's this, that God confronted racism in the early church. You see, there was racism in the early church. If you read through Acts, you'll find God confronting it in di several different episodes throughout the book of Acts. And the reason there was racism in the early church is because all the early converts to Christianity were Jewish. And they brought into Christianity all their cultural traditions and presuppositions. And one of those was that, that Jews did not associate with non-Jews, or what they called Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. And there are very strict regulations about how Jews could interact with Gentiles. And in short, they couldn't. They couldn't associate with Gentiles. They couldn't talk with Gentiles. They couldn't eat with Gentiles. They couldn't go into Gentile homes. They had to, to, to stay away from Gentiles. And part of the way they expressed their devotion to God was by steering away from Gentiles. And when all these Jews became Christians, <laughs> that's what that God began to, to address that, that cultural assumption that they brought into this whole thing. Now, it, there are several different episodes of this in Acts, but I just want to look at one example this morning. God starts, or God, God chooses to confront Peter. Now, Peter, he's Jewish. He's been raised with this cultural assumption, and so, so God comes to him in Acts chapter 10, and he gives him a vision. And we don't have time to go into the vision this morning, but in this vision, he, 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 God makes it clear that, Peter, you're going to have to rethink your cultural assumptions and your cultural traditions. You're going to have to rethink uh, your, your racism, and you're not to call things unclean or unworthy anymore that I call clean and worthy. And as soon as this vision ends, there's a knock on Peter's door, and these, these men have come, and they said, hey, look, we're, we're representatives of a, a Roman centurion named Cornelius, and he's invited you to come. He says you have a message for him. And this is something Peter previously would never have done. You know, to go to a Gentile's house, as not, not just a Gentile, any Gentile, but, but a member of the occupying forces of Rome, this is something a Jewish man would never have done. But because God had confronted him with this, he went. 
And, and when he arrived at Cornelius' home in the city of Caesarea, he says this, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and who do what is right. Peter is getting a revelation from God that, 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 that all the assumptions about Jews and Gentile, that, that that is over. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't transfer into Christianity. And so he begins to, to explain to them about Jesus, how Jesus had died and how he'd risen again. And, and, and as he's preaching the gospel to them, the Holy Spirit fills the room and the first Gentile converts enter the kingdom of God. I'm so thankful for this moment. You know, just a couple of months ago, right before the pandemic occurred, I, uh, I got the chance to take a trip to Israel for the first time. It was, it, was, it was such a joy to be there. And we went to the city of Caesarea where this whole thing occurred. And I was just, mar- as I was there, marveling and thinking about this story and how grateful I am that God chose to confront racism in the early church, that he chose to expand the borders of Christianity beyond, beyond the Jewish ethnicity and to incorporate all nations into, the, into Christianity. That's what Jesus commanded the disciples to do. He said, I want you to go out into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. I want all people to come to know me. And that's when we talked about this a few weeks ago, when we talked about Pentecost, that it was at Pentecost that God brought people from all different nations together to form one people, to form one community around the person of Jesus. That is God's heart. He wants all people to come to know him. And I'm so thankful that he addressed and confronted racism in the early church because without it, I would not be a Christian today. Without it, most of you listening would not be a Christian today. It would just be a, a, a sect of Judaism. But, but as a result, all of us have had the opportunity to come to know Jesus. And I'm also so thankful for Peter, who was willing to lay down everything that he'd been raised in, everything that he'd been taught and trained, and say, you know what? That's not what God wants anymore. That's not what, that's not what God is actually, that, that's not his heart. That's not his desire. Do you know how hard that is to just lay that all down? But he was humble enough to let God correct him and to learn a better way of living. So racism is not compatible with Christianity, and the Bible makes that abundantly clear. But the question that I always ask when when these incidents like the, 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 the horrific murder of George Floyd occur is this, why does racism continue to exist? right? I mean, do, do you not have that same thought? Whenever something like this happens, are you just not like, how, how, can, just, how can this happen again? I mean, are we not past this by now? And I've been thinking a lot about this because if you look through human history, there's a long, dark thread of racism happening in lots of different nations and lots of different cultures, whether it's, you know, the, the Germans and the Jews in World War II or whether it's uh, white Europeans or Americans enslaving Africans. There's, there's just racism continues to rear its head throughout human history. And why is that? 
I was listening to one theologian, Dr. Jim Dennison, talking about this, and I think he made a great point, and that, and that there's something about the, the, the broken human condition, something about that occurred at the fall that, that needs to feel, that, that there's something about our hearts that needs to feel superior to other people. There's something that's just, racism is attractive because it empowers us. It causes us to feel superior to other people. It's this twisted way of gaining self-worth. Rather than, than getting our worth as, as beloved sons and daughters of God that, that bear the image of God, instead we're, we gain our sense of value and self-worth by feeling superior to other people, and racism is, is one way that we do that. We, we, you know, if somebody, if we can say, hey, my skin is better than your skin, my ethnicity is better than your ethnicity, and there's nothing you can do to change your ethnicity, and nothing I can do to change mine, then there's something, you know, we get this twisted sense of superiority out of it. It's tearing other people down to build ourselves up. And I think this is particularly attractive to people that are struggling in some way. Maybe they're struggling economically or in other ways. That, that if they can, they can somehow say, well, you know, my life may not be going great, but at least I'm better than. And they have this false sense of superiority. It, it, it's just, it's attractive. And it continues to rear its head. And it will continue to do so until we address this lie that exists in people's hearts, and, 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 and until we connect people to this truth that, that we are all made in God's image, we all have infinite value and worth and dignity. Unless we do that, 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 that racism is going to continue to perpetuate itself in our culture and in our society. So the question that I ask when I've been asking over the last week, and I'm sure you've been asking as well, is what can I do? You know, how can we address the, the, the culture of racism, or, or racism in our culture. And I just want to give us three simple steps that I believe anybody can take as we, as we try to move forward from this. First of all, I want to challenge you to examine our own hearts. Examine our own hearts. You know, when we, I, I think we'd all agree that black lives matter that police brutality should never happen, that the, the murder of George Floyd was senseless and horrific and, and that the people that did it should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law and that it should never happen to anybody ever again. And, and, and in our anger over that, I mean, that's, that's good. That's a starting place, but, but we can easily conclude, well, I'm not a racist, but that's a low goal. We, want, we don't want to just say, well, I'm not a racist. We want to say, I, I, we want to be anti-racist. We want to actively oppose it. And I think the place to start is by examining our own hearts. Let's not be too quick to say, well, I'm not a racist. Because racism can lurk in subtle and almost subconscious corners of our hearts. And I want to invite us to pray the prayer that David gave us in Psalm 139. He says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I think we need to just come honestly before God and, and, and ask him this question, God, is there anything in me that offends you? Is there any racist belief in me? Are there any racist attitudes I'm unaware of? 
Is there any place in my life where I need to repent of racism? And whatever he, needs, whatever he brings to the surface, then the answer is simple. If you're, there's racist things that are lurking in you that maybe you didn't even know were there, you, you need to repent, first of all, to God and maybe to uh, ethnic minorities in our culture as well. Repentance brings freedom. So I want to encourage us to start off by just simply examining our own hearts. Secondly, I think we can all be bridge builders, become a bridge builder. You know, uh, what do I mean by that? I mean, it, it, it's becoming in t- taking the initiative to build relationships with people of different ethnicities than you. You know, our faith is demonstrated in our actions, and our love for God is demonstrated by how we love people. And so we need to take the initiative and build bridges where there's been division among people of different ethnicity. One of the things that I mean when I say become bridge builders is simply just taking the time to listen, right? We need to apply the principle of James 1.19 where he says, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And I think specifically in this culture, I want to talk to people who are in the majority, white people. I want to say, hey, we need to take the initiative and go to people who look different from us and ask them questions and ask them, hey, what has your experience been in this culture? Tell me your story. That's what I've been doing over the the past week. And, and, And really, the stories that I've heard are heartbreaking. And as we listen, you know, this, you know, as we go and we ask them these stories, see, the goal is that we're trying to expose our own blind spots. Because let's just be honest, as, as a white person in a majority white culture, I have blind spots. You have blind spots. We all have blind spots that we just can't see because we haven't experienced life as a minority. And we need to, to step out of the boat. We need to ask the uncomfortable questions so that we can understand, begin to understand, and empathize with ethnic minorities in our culture. You know, I first realized some of my blind spots in, uh, when I moved to Africa and lived in Africa for three years. Um, and in my time there, for the first time in my life, I was the ethnic minority. I was no longer in the majority. I was in the minority. And, and, and that really exposed to me some of the blind spots that I carried. And, and I realized that, 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 that the experience of the minorities that I grew up with was very different from my own experience growing up. So we need to be willing to listen and hear other people's stories so that our blind spots can be exposed. And can I offer a tip as we listen? This, is, this isn't the time for yeah, but. This isn't the time to argue politics. This isn't the time to debate. This is the time to shut your mouth and listen and ask questions and put yourself in their shoes and ask, what would I want if I was dealing with this on a daily basis? The second way that we can be bridge builders is we can speak out. We can speak out against racial injustice. We don't turn away. We don't, we don't pretend it didn't happen. We speak out. Proverbs 31.8 says this, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. 
Justice is a big deal in the Bible. It, it, it describes God's throne as righteousness and justice being the foundation of his throne. Justice is a big deal to God. And so when we, 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 when we see injustice happening, we need to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. We need to leverage for those of us in positions of influence or whatever influence and authority we have, we need to use it for those who can't speak for themselves. We need to those, uh, speak up for those who can't uh, defend themselves in the same way that we can. We need to be a voice, and we need to actively deal with uh, racist ideology wherever it comes up. And, and most of the time, it's individual conversations that you hear and challenging it when it comes up. And it's also dealing with it wherever it occurs in a systemic level in our society. But when I say speak up, I, I want us to, to also be aware that, that we have to speak the truth in love. We can't, speak the, we, we can't just speak up and, and, and partner with the hatred that is causing racism. That's not going to heal our society. We must be, continue to operate in love towards one another, even as we address the injustice in our culture. If we allow hatred to take over, it's just going to become an eye for an eye and keep going and perpetuating itself. Somewhere we've got to break the cycle. Somewhere we've got love has to enter the equation. And that brings me to my final point, and that is that we need to forgive one another. Now, I'll be honest with you. I did not want to put this point in this message because I don't want to make it sound like, well, you know, we just need to forgive and we just need to continue with the status quo and we don't need to address the injustice in society, but that is not what I'm saying at all. We need to address the injustice in society. We need to speak up and speak out and we need to forgive one another. And here's why. Because healing can't happen without forgiveness. That's what the Bible makes clear is that healing can't happen without forgiveness. And, you know, if you have suffered from racism, you know, the, 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 I can't imagine the depth of pain that that has caused, the wounding that is caused in your own soul. And I want nothing more than for that to be healed and for you to be restored and for the, 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 the pain and the residue of that to be washed away. But if the, the, the only way to do that is to is to, first of all, forgive. And it's in our forgiving others that God can come and heal and restore our hearts. I, you know, I've heard uh, forgiveness described as setting the prisoner free and discovering the prisoner was you. You know, when we forgive, we don't forgive because people have earned it or because they deserve it. We forgive because the Lord forgave us. Remember Jesus on the cross as he was uh, dying there. He was, he was treated more unjustly than any person in history. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus modeled forgiveness for those who, who weren't repentant, forgiveness for those who had unjustly crucified him. And, 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 and that is what we're to do as well. We're to forgive as God forgave us. And what is amazing about that is that God heals the wounds in our hearts as we forgive. So I think the way out of racial injustice has to include forgiveness, both individually and as a nation. We've got to, forgiveness has to enter the equation if we want healing and transformation to happen. So as I close today, I just want to say, you know, the, 
racial, healing the racial injustice in our culture is a process, and it's a process that happens one conversation at a time. It's a process that happens as we examine our own hearts. It's a process that happens as we learn to listen to one another and learn to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes. It's a process that happens as we speak out and we begin to change the structures in society that perpetuate this lie. But this is our opportunity, church. We have an opportunity to to step into the culture. In in 2 Corinthians, it describes us as ministers of reconciliation. And we have the opportunity to help reconcile this great divide that's happened in our culture. Let me close by praying for us. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that in your sight, all people have equal value and worth and dignity, that we are all image bearers. And God, I thank you that you long for every person to know you, to love you, to be gathered around the throne in heaven one day. That is your heart. That is your desire. And God, I thank you that your desire is for justice. And Lord, we cry out for justice in this culture. We cry out for uh, 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 liberty for captives and freedom to prisoners. Lord, we ask for the oppressed uh, we live, and, and the systemic things that are happening that keep people oppressed, for those things to be broken, for those things to be fixed, for those things to be healed. And we ask that you would heal and restore those who have been wounded and damaged by racism in our culture. God, search our hearts. Remove anything in us that is offensive to you. And Lord, make us one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.